Hi, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister at Shell Harbour City Anglican Church and welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast. A particular welcome if you're joining us for the first time. We certainly live in very uncertain times and we're anxious about our health and well-being, but these times also challenge our sense of meaning and purpose. Who am I in these times when I can't do the things that I love to do? In the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes talks a lot about our meaning in life. And it talks about our existence being fleeting, sort of like a breath of air on a cold winter's morning. It's there in one moment and then gone the next. And we should certainly enjoy each moment of life. We should savour life. But at the same time, we need to keep a sense of perspective of who we are before God and who God has created us to be. And so the book ends with these words. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including even hidden things, whether it is good or evil. We certainly pray at these times that God will take away this terrible virus. But at the same time, we also pray that he might challenge our sense of perspective of who we are before him. As part of the podcast today, we're beginning to turn our eyes towards Easter and we're going to be looking at what's called traditionally Palm Sunday. Although what we will discover is that not every account of Jesus entering Jerusalem includes palms. And so today we'll be looking at the book of Luke and what it means for Jesus to be entering as king and how do we see Jesus? Do we see him as king or do we see him simply as an influential teacher? Included in this podcast there will also be some music, there will be a short video for the kids and at the end we will share together in the Lord's Supper. For those who are watching this on Facebook, in the comments there's also a link to an activity sheet for the kids so that they can follow along with what we're doing together. So I hope you find this time encouraging as we gather and look at God's Word.
God's Story, Palm Sunday. Jesus was traveling. He sent his disciples to get a donkey. People spread coats and branches on the road. They praised Jesus. Some people didn't recognize that he was the king. That made Jesus sad. He had come to rescue them. A few days later, he would show just how much he loves us. And that's a part of God's story. Dear God, we love you because you made us. And you love us. Amen. Almighty God and loving Father, we rejoice that you pardon and forgive those who submit to your Lordship and truly repent. Please forgive us. This week we have failed to live up to who you have called us to be. We have done what we shouldn't have done and not done what we should have done. Help us through your spirit to live godly, righteous and holy lives and finally come to your eternal glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, we pray for those in our church family who are married and for those who are single. Lord, in our different circumstances, may we experience your joy and contentment and be able to glorify your name by obediently using the gifts you have given us. Strengthen and unify our marriage relationships to better enable your work and will to be done and so our homes are filled with joy and love. Father, we lift up to you those, these members of our church. We pray for Judy and Ken Robinson, Karen Robinson, Greg and Marguerite Robson, Ben Robson and Sam Robson. Heavenly Father, fill them with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that they may live a life worthy of you and may please you in every way. May they bear fruit in every good work, grow in the knowledge of God, be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that they might have great endurance and patience and joyfully give thanks to you to you, their Father, who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Father, we pray that during this time of challenge, uncertainty and change, that we might be able to support each other well and look out for people in need. Father, thank you for our connect groups, and that even though we can't meet together in person, we can still connect in other ways. Please allow your spirit to continue to grow us, unify us and encourage us, particularly in this time of trial. Father, we pray that you'll give us courage and boldness in the way we invite our friends and family to listen to the Good Friday podcast this week and for fruitful connection and discussion with them afterwards. Father, as we look to our community, our nation and the world, we pray for our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and our Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, Lord, in such unprecedented and challenging times, please give them both great wisdom and discernment as they lead our nation and state. Sustain them, encourage them in their roles, and may they trust in you and look to you for guidance. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in all levels of politics. Help them to stand strong in their faith and to be a witness to those around them, displaying your fruit of the Spirit, particularly peace at this time. Father, looking to our mission partners, we pray particularly for our brother Ian Renitz, serving in hospital chaplaincy in our local area. Lord, as more people are using the hospital system and families experience stress and anxiety, please bless his work. Give him wisdom in how he connects with, in who he connects with and how he cares for people. 
sustain him and allow him continued access to those people who need his care most. As we look to our wider church family, Lord, we lift up to you our brothers and sisters at Angadine Heathcote Anglican Church. We pray for James Warren, the senior minister, Michael Dodd, Ian Morrison and the youth ministry team. Give them wisdom as they lead the church during this time of great change. May they be able to effectively adjust the way they do ministry to enable them to continue to connect with their church family and community. May the church remain united and faithful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, Ian Renitz is going to come and read the Bible for us. And then directly after, I'll spend some time looking at what that passage has to say and what it means for us. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it'd be good to go and grab one. And if you don't own a Bible in your house, then you can go online and simply look up online Bible and I'm sure you will find one that you can use for free. I often go to Bible Gateway. The passage we'll be reading is Luke 19, starting at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, one which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. As we get into God's word now, let me pray as we begin. Dear Lord, as we come to your word today, may I speak to it faithfully 
And may your spirit open our eyes to see that Jesus really is the one who brings us peace. Amen. When we think of our king coming into his kingdom, we have great expectations. You know, we're expecting something bigger than Ben-Hur. Or perhaps for the kids, Prince Ali in Aladdin. What we don't expect is a king arriving on a donkey. You know, there's nothing regal or awesome or majestic about a donkey. It's a pretty humble animal. But in this scene, we have Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on a donkey. Today is what we traditionally call Palm Sunday. But as we read the account in Luke, uh, there aren't any palms. Uh, there are cloaks, uh, but no palms. Uh, we could call it Cloak Sunday, but that does lose a certain ring to it. Uh, often people call this passage the triumphant entry. And certainly for many of us as Christians, we see it as triumphant. But not everyone sees it that way. I think for the average Aussie, uh, we're not really into kings and rulers. And we certainly don't feel that there's anything particularly relevant about someone proclaiming to be king in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And we certainly like the idea generally of Jesus as a good person, as someone who had some profound and moral things to say. We like the idea of Jesus perhaps coming into Jerusalem, you know, to, to make a statement to the ruling authorities. You know, a statement against the self-righteous, religious and political establishment. We like that kind of stuff. But that's really the limit of our interest. And we don't see a lot of relevance for us in day-to-day -day life. So if we're going to understand these events, then we understand why Jesus was coming into Jerusalem in the first place. And to do that, we've got to go all the way back in the book of Luke to chapter 9. And this is what Jesus says is going to happen. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Jesus knows what's going to happen as he sets his face to Jerusalem. And there's something incredibly evocative about that turn of phrase. Now, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he knows what is going to happen, and yet he chooses to go there anyway. And so we pick up the events with Jesus about five kilometres out of Jerusalem in a town of Bethany. And all of this is happening just before Passover. So normally, Jerusalem was a city of about 30,000 people. At Passover, it became a city of about 180,000 people. And so people are pouring in from all over the country. And in amongst all of these crowds, there's Jesus, this prophet from the north in Nazareth. Now, in Israel, the south was kind of the cultural centre and political centre of the nation. Uh, the north, up around Galilee, was kind of, you know, the countryside. And so Jesus is coming, really, to play with the big boys now. And as he comes in, he rides on a donkey. And believe it or not, actually, a donkey is significant. And if you know the history of Israel, then donkeys have a big part to play. So way back in the Old Testament, Solomon, King Solomon, came into his kingdom, Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. 
So this is what it says in the book of 1 Kings. Take your Lord's servant with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. And so that is King David speaking. And then a little bit later on in Israel's history, there was a prophet by the name of Zechariah. And he's looking forward to another king. And this is what he says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so now we have these words being fulfilled. And so a donkey was a symbol of power, but it was also a symbol of humility. You know, so the, the donkey is kind of the beige hatchback of the animal world. You know, it's not the type of animal you're expecting to see at a coronation. But it says something about the type of king that God is putting in place. Someone of both power and humility. So often when we think about power, we think about it in terms of how we use it for ourselves. It becomes self-serving. And certainly as we look through history, kings have tended to look after themselves far better than they have looked after their subjects. But here we have a king who's coming who is going to be different. A king who is coming to serve the people. And ultimately he will serve humanity by standing in our place and suffering the consequences of our sin. He will die so that we can live. And we know all of this is going to end in tragedy, but we still have a sense that Jesus is in control of all of these events. You know, Jesus has told his disciples to go up ahead and to get just the right cult for this moment. And Jesus knows as he rides this donkey into Jerusalem that the people are watching. He knows that some of those people will turn on him, that he will be arrested, imprisoned and ultimately put to death. And all of this is happening according to God's purpose and plan. All of this is part of Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. And so we continue the story reading in verse 36. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So for some of these people, they have followed Jesus for a long time. Uh, they have seen Jesus do incredible things, healing people. And now Jesus, the king, is coming into Jerusalem, the capital, uh, to take his throne. Uh, these people have literally been waiting generations for this event. You know, we can all remember a time when we were little kids and the anticipation of Christmas. You know, those few days before 
when you are just busting for that day to arrive. You, know, you sit at that tree, just salivating over those presents as they sit there. And each one you kind of poked and prodded and, sh and shook. You know, you're pretty sure one of them you know, is a pony. And then you know, Christmas Day comes, it's 4.35. You, know, you jump up, you run into your parents' room. Your parents just love you that little bit more. You know, when you get that sense of anticipation, you can appreciate what's going on for the disciples in this moment. This is something they've waited for for a long time. And when they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, then it's exuberant praise, but it's actually more than that. They're quoting Psalm 118. And what they're saying is all those things that God promised in the Old Testament are now coming to be fulfilled in this moment. It's all happening and they are part of it. You know, for the disciples, it's a moment of euphoria. But of course, it's not that for everyone. Uh, there are some people who are standing there watching what's going on. Uh, and they're called the Pharisees. Uh, they were sort of the religious establishment of the day. And they say to Je Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know, from their perspective as a Pharisee, there is no doubt that Jesus has exceeded every social expectation. You know, he grew up as a lowly carpenter and now he's become a teacher of incredible influence. You know, he's got a reputation for healing people. Yeah, he even convinced a tax collector to give up half of his wealth. And when he says to people, give up everything to follow me, they hear it and they do it willingly. But for the Pharisees, what they see is the hype that sort of surrounds a religious cult leader. You know, this is someone who is of influence, but it's not a good influence. You know, him claiming to fulfill the Old Testament promises of the Psalms is just going too far. It's one thing to be a teacher of influence. It's another thing to be claiming to be God's gift to humanity. And I think as a culture in the present, we have some of the same reaction. You know, we like the idea of Jesus being a teacher. Uh, we like the, the, some of the morals, at least, of Jesus. But we're not so keen on the claim that he's the Son of God who died for our sin. And so we read verses like, love your neighbour as yourself. We like that. But we're not so keen on what comes directly before it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. You know, we love John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But we're not so keen on the second half of that verse. For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, we like to pick and choose those aspects of Jesus that are more convenient for us. But for those listening, for the Pharisees, who do not see Jesus as king then everything that's going on is profoundly offensive. And it's a mistake if we take Jesus as a humble person, but not see him as a king. We shouldn't mistake humility for weakness. 
So Jesus hears the outrage of these Pharisees, but he isn't going to rebuke his disciples for saying what is simply the truth. But he does have something to say to the Pharisees. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You know, Jesus is saying even inanimate objects like stones are more attuned to what's going on right now compared to the Pharisees. But he might also be alluding to Psalm 118 again, because in Psalm 118, it talks about a stone that the builders have rejected. So if you can imagine uh, that there's a, a building site and there's stones everywhere and the builder walking through this site looking for that perfect cornerstone, that, that one stone that will set up the whole foundation. And in this situation, the builder has walked past the perfect stone for the job. And that's what these Pharisees have done right now. And I think what's doubly tragic in this particular retelling of events is these are Pharisees who have spent their whole life exploring and studying the scriptures. Now, they are waiting for a saviour and a messiah. And yet when that saviour comes, when he's standing there in front of them, they miss it. And really, they're not alone. So verse 41, as he approaches Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known of this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. You know, so often we are frustrated by the lack of peace in our life. Uh, right now, we certainly, on a society level, don't feel particularly peaceful with everything that's happening with the coronavirus. You know, we ask ourselves the question, you know, where is God in this? And often we feel very frustrated at God. You know, why isn't God helping us? Why isn't God helping me? But God's peace in this present age isn't the absence of conflict. And it's not even about our health and prosperity and well-being. What God does promise is that if we trust him as king, as saviour, then we have everything we need to have peace in the storm. Because he is the one who saves us. He's the one who created us, who loves us. He is the one who gives us a certain hope and a certain future. And with that comes an enormous freedom. Yeah, our identity is not in our work. Our identity is not in our hobbies. Our identity is not in our freedom to go out and just do what we want. Our freedom and our identity is in Christ. And we have a certain and confident future. And so as Christians, we know how to live in uncertain times. We know that we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. We know we need to keep loving our neighbour as ourselves. We know we need to be considerate and tolerant and patient. We need to be ready to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Now that's the peace that we have in Christ. And we're so thankful that God opens our eyes to see that peace as we see Jesus coming into his kingdom. But for those who reject Jesus, there are also consequences. Jesus describes in this passage an absolutely horrific future for Jerusalem. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you 
and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. And all of this will come to pass in about 40 years' time in AD 70. So there's a Jewish revolt in Jerusalem. The Romans come and besiege the city and end up destroying almost everything. And it all happened because they did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. For lots of people, the idea that God judges, and worse still, that God would send people to hell, is a deal breaker. They would say, you know, I cannot believe in a God who could be so cruel and unjust. And there's a lot of assumptions in that sort of statement. There's an assumption that we are good people, uh, that we've done nothing wrong before God, that even though we ignore God, that we still deserve good things from him. It assumes that God is love, and that's right, but it ignores the fact that God is also just. And it assumes that God is kind of like one of our elected politicians who we can tell what to do, rather than God being God, and we need to listen to him. You know, Israel will be judged because they have failed to recognise their king. But we shouldn't assume, simply because that was Israel's experience in this moment, that every time something bad happens to us, it's an act of God's judgement against us. And certainly at the moment, as we live in the coronavirus, we shouldn't simply assume that God is judging us now. Absolutely, if there is sin in our life, we want to recognise that, we want to repent. And we recognise that God might be using this as a time to grow us, and to sharpen us, and to discipline us. But at the same time, bad things happen to both bad people and good people. And whatever our status before God, we need to live prepared lives. So some people came to Jesus and asked him once, you know, when these people suffered, was it their sin or something else? And this is how Jesus replies. It was about some Galileans. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you too will also perish. You know, we should absolutely examine ourselves and if there are issues of sin, repent. But we do need to also see the bigger picture. Are we always ready to meet our maker? Do we recognise Jesus as our King and Lord and Saviour who died for us on the cross? Have we repented and believed? Are we ready to take up our cross and follow him. Because that's what it means to genuinely be a follower of Christ. And when we make that commitment, then no matter what happens, we are ready for whatever future. In fact, we can look forward to the future with a sense of anticipation. You know, Jesus coming into Jerusalem is a triumphant moment. But it's also tragic. Because there are some who see Jesus for who he really is, and some who miss it. And so I hope as we reflect on this passage now, that we see hope. That we see the hope that Jesus brings, and that we recognise the peace that he offers. Let me pray.
Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came as king, but as king will choose to die on a cross. And so, Lord, we thank you that he did that for our sake, so that our relationship with you might be restored. Amen. We're now going to share together in the Lord's Supper. So if you haven't already, it'd be great if you could grab some bread and some juice or some wine. When we share the Lord's Supper together at church, there's, there's nothing intrinsically special about the bread or the juice. But they're a very tangible reminder of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He died to pay the price for our sin. And even though we're separated now, physically, we are thankful for the fellowship that we share together because of what he did for us. And so I'm going to begin our time by saying the words of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Apostolic Church, the fellowship of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life eternal. Let us continue by retelling the events of that Last Supper through the words of Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, where he says, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, in obedience to Christ's command, let us take the bread break it, and feed on him in our hearts with thanksgiving. After supper, he took the cup and again, giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So let us now drink together, remembering that Christ's blood was shed for us. Let me now close in prayer. Dear Father, thank you that in the events of the cross you demonstrated your love for us, and while we were still far off, you brought us near. Thank you that through the sacrifice of your Son, we can be confident of our salvation, united together through your Son and by your Spirit, and heirs to eternal fellowship together with you. Amen. That brings us almost to the end of our time together. If you're watching this on Sunday morning, then please continue to join us on Facebook in the comments section. It'd be great if you could just acknowledge that you are there. But even better, it would be great if you could leave a comment you know, a reflection on what encouraged you or challenged you from the podcast this morning. And perhaps comment on what others have been challenged by 
in this time together. During the week, a number of people in our church get together in connect groups, and this is an opportunity to look at the passage a little more personally and to share life and to pray together. So if you're not in a connect group, can I encourage you to drop me a message and I'll make sure that we find a group that suits you. At the end of this week, of course, we're also celebrating Easter together. And this is a great opportunity to invite a friend or a family member uh, to join you for the podcast and to sit in and watch or listen. Uh, you might want to share this link on your Facebook page or you might just want to go old school, give someone a call and invite them to listen in. That's it for our time together. Have a great week. Look after each other. Love one another. Be patient. And go in peace to love and serve the Lord.